Today, we'll be talking with Shuba Kashup. Shuba is one of the program directors within program planning and management here at Penn State World Campus. Um, and I think it was a really great conversation with her, and I think it's going to provide some important context for all of you as you think about your design work, um, can starting to consider the business, the business context of learning design. And that business context in this case is pretty higher education specific, but a lot of the lessons that you'll learn from what Shub is talking about are pretty universal. Business, uh, to some extent, business is business. There are concepts like, uh, like operating costs and, and finances um, and, and program growth or business growth uh, are, are pretty universal concepts. So while she might be talking about this in the context of higher education, I think a lot of those lessons are, are fairly universal and you can apply those to other professional settings such as government or uh, or corporate. So, so I would challenge you uh, as you listen to what she has to say to think about the design work that you plan to do in whatever settings you're interested in and start to think about how these business considerations might shape the design work that you do. And that might be in some senses, a constraint. So it might limit, budgets might limit what you're able to do realistically in terms of a particular uh, particular instructional uh, project or product that you're trying to create. But I would also say that in terms of program growth or business growth, there might be particular audiences, for example, that a, that a, that a program might be wanting to target that uh, that might actually spur your creativity and make you think about um, new avenues for your own creativity um, that you want to kind of pull into your project. So, so I think that I find at least as I'm working with somebody like Shuba in my job that knowing the things that she knows and having a lot of conversations with, with her and people like her in, the, in this role um, is actually something that um, – that helps me be, be more confident about the ideas that I have um, and, and the work that I do. So I think that this is a really useful context to really be mindful of what the things that she's saying might do to impact the, the, the sort of implementation of the pedagogical ideas that, that you might have as you're doing design work. I think you'll really enjoy it and let's have at it. All right. Uh, so thanks for, for joining us today, Shuba. Um, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because in this course, obviously, we're talking about learning design um, and, and all of the factors related to online, the process of doing online learning um, and how they impact learning design. And I think that the one thing that probably most most learning designers are not going to be thinking about as they go into a, uh, into this profession is the impact of some of the business decisions on the learning design process, and and throughout this course, we're you know we're we're doing design, but we're doing it in the context of, of these these different sort of constraints or factors in, in online learning. Um, so so I think this one is going to provide interesting challenges, as it does for for all of us. If we had unlimited time and money, we would 
spend time doing a really amazing course designs, but there's these other factors that we need to be thinking about at all times. Um, and I think that this is an interesting one. And, and for me, the way that I think about this is it's, it, it is a constraint, but, um, but it's a good constraint. It provides some boundaries around your design um, that the, the business of online learning provides some boundaries that I think can make us be more creative or more thoughtful about the way that we do the designs. So, yeah. um, so, so I, so I think that there's going to be some interesting things that we're going to talk about here and maybe surprising to, to some folks who don't know much about the business. So, okay, great. so with that being said, why don't you introduce yourself, maybe just a little bit about your, your background. Sure. Um, my name is Shuba Kashup. I am a Director of Academic Affairs for World Campus. In my role here, I manage the graduate business and education portfolios, which are two uh, very robust and long-standing portfolios here at Penn State. Um, we have a mixture of uh, a wide variety of faculty participating, a wide variety of design and delivery methods in play, and uh, a wide audience we're reaching through these online programs. Before that, I've counseled students, and um, I have my doctorate in workforce education, my master's in higher education, and my undergrad in psychology. Interesting. Are most of the people that are doing, and we'll talk about what program planning and management actually does mm -hmm. at Penn State, um, is your particular background pretty common for the people in your position, or do, do people come at this in different angles? If I look at my colleagues, many of us come from workforce education, adult education, higher education, and learning design and technology. Mm -hmm. We are a cross-section because I think what we're looking at is professionals that are bridging the gap between learning and the learners. Mm -hmm. And that you can come to that topic from so many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, we also have co uh, colleagues in educational leadership, ed theory policy, and um, and interestingly, sometimes even engineering, <laughs> which is interesting. But if you think about it, they're really in the in the business of designing things for people as well. And so sure. this is what this is all about. Whether you're uh, in workforce ed or adult ed, it's about learning and designing your user. Yeah, yeah. There's something sort of interestingly universal about design and design design thinking. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the actual program planning and management organization and how that fits into World Campus and online learning at Penn State? Sure. So program planning and management is a unit. We call it PPNM here. You might find this at any institution. It might have a different name or might have some different ideas around what their role is. But our primary function is to be the lead point of contact for our academic partners and faculty. When they're looking to do online programs and courses, they need a person they can call or they need a unit with expertise across topics and places to go where when they have a question and they're not sure where to start, that's our unit. Um, the academic units here are take the lead on all the academic functions, teaching, hiring the faculty, training the faculty, de delivering courses. And we focus in program planning and management or program managers or program directors on the delivery side. So we connect, we loop in the larger registrar functions, the bursar functions. We look at how learning design ties into this, the marketing strategy, mm -hmm. compliance, risk, um, financials, mm -hmm. any of those larger topics associated with delivery we become the conduit for mm -hmm. those conversations. And I've heard that 
described as sort of you guys being the hub of the online learning process? To be honest, I think that if you can imagine if you're a lead faculty member venturing into new territory, and it's a scary, exciting process, and there aren't a lot of answers, we would want one place where they could come and ask any question and we would help get them to the right place. Right. So if we were to think of ourselves in that in that yeah, way sure. as a hub of come here with your question and we'll figure out where you go right. next, then yes, I guess we would consider ourselves a hub. Yeah, it's not so much a, a, a matter of you guys thinking that, that that particular function is more important than any other function, but that, and I think that this is underscored in the way that this whole course is structured is that there are these different functions. Yeah. But in, in particularly in a large institution like Penn State, they're probably all over the institution. They're under different umbrellas. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be somebody who's integrating all those different parts yes. in a way that's efficient so that all this so that our courses ultimately can get out the door on time Absolutely. and register for the classes. So. so what that looks like is, for example, somebody says, well, I'm going to do this course and I'm going to make a one-week optional module where they can come face-to-face -face for campus. Mm -hmm. And so our instructional designers, our learning designers, our learning technologists will know how to design the course. But has anyone com um, consulted with compliance and risk? Does the bursar know how to bill for that? Are there any other university policies? What are the pieces involved in that? That's where we come in and sort of serve as that hub for information. Um, in terms of other things we do, we are... Uh, we are integral to the discovery, development, and delivery of new and existing programs. Um, what that means is as programs are being um, vetted, considered, we are part of that conversation. When programs are being developed and we've decided we are going to deliver a program, we look at the financials, we look at any barriers, we work through um, any of the conversations with learning design. And when it comes to delivery, it's about making sure our courses are running smoothly, partnering with appropriate audiences, making sure we're reaching our audience, making sure that we're maintaining quality experience. And then, of course, it always goes comes back around when it comes time to maybe redevelop some courses or redevelop how the program is delivered. It's mm -hmm. a cyclical process. Mm -hmm. um, the other piece is we have cross-functional roles. Some of us specialize in certain areas, whether we're working with our business-to-business -business strategy. We try to keep the academic affairs and faculty in the loop. We have a military population, so we have people specialize in working with military. And we pull our expertise from all of the people we work with. Are, so we have admissions counselors that specialize in that. We have instructional designers who know where technology would work and how it would work to meet audiences that have um, sketchy <laughs> access to the internet. Mm -hmm. And so we that's an integral part of our conversations. Um, and we try to work at the university level to advocate for our adult learners. Our adult learners aren't an add-on. They're an integral part of our culture here. And so we try to be an advocate for those conversations as well. So I've been in many what we call program team meetings with you, mm -hmm. um, and and I and I sort of like this academic academic program program management and learning design sort of on this marketing and is in those meetings too. Yes. Can you take us through what some of the conversations are like, sort of in a day to day basis with an academic program? So they want to. And maybe back it out and, and to the point where you're having a conversation about maybe putting a new program online or that 
that's sort of at the idea idea phase and they're engaging you about that idea? What does that look like yeah. and take it through? Well, I think I can think of a couple of examples. One that you and I have worked on closely is when we are working with a program who is considering expansion of their audience. Mm-hmm. They may have intended their audience through initial delivery to meet maybe teachers. Mm-hmm. And now they're looking to expand their audience to working professionals in the military or working professionals in the corporate sector. That requires an integrated team approach to how we deliver this online program. Mm -hmm. The faculty are keeping keeping this in mind when they develop their assessments and their readings. The designer is keeping this in mind when they design the actual course space and making those suggestions to the faculty on where we could enhance the learning opportunities or widen our audience. Our marketing strategist is looking at how we are approaching our audience. Are we on the right platforms to reach that extended audience? And our admissions counselors are part of that conversation. So when the students pick up the phone and call, our admissions counselor is prepared to speak about this program from a wide audience. That can't happen by one faculty member deciding that we're just going to reach a wider audience. All of these delivery factors play into it. Another example I can think of is that when we've looked at other programs that have hands-on approach um, processes in their classroom environment. So let's say there's a class that there's an actual internship or there's a lab component or a hands-on component that they want to try to deliver this program online. As you know, when we do our pipeline processes of new programs, marketing is there, but so is learning design. Mm -hmm. Because if we suspect there's going to be any internship issues or any delivery of courses that may require some unique technology or some unique functionality, we need to keep our design team in the know up front. And I think that's where the team environment and the cross-functional team approach keeps everyone included. Mm -hmm. So let's Given all of that, the specifics of how PPNM works, could we take a step back and maybe talk a little bit about uh, the current landscape of online learning? And 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 we, you know, within this course, we're talking about pedagogy and, and technology and things like that. But I think an interesting thing from your perspective, if you could tell us a little bit about what you think about online learning right now, you know, in terms of financial sustainability, the, the growth of these programs that you're working with, and, and or in general, whether online learning is, is as a mm-hmm. field is growing or not, um, what the change in competition looks like, or in, and even if you have any thoughts about sort of regulations and policies and how that impacts decisions you make. Sure. So I've been doing this for uh, about 10 years now, specifically with online learning. And even in the 10 years that I've been doing this, landscape the landscape of online education has continued to evolve. We are seeing a variety of factors that are playing into these conversations. Um, Accessibility of technology. As the price point comes down and things are more accessible, programs are really ramping up not only how they design their courses, but how they position themselves in the market. there, we're seeing audiences and competitors flowing in and out of the market. It's no longer an online education being separate from resident instruction. It's, I'm getting my education, however, in whatever delivery method that is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, with an increasingly global workforce, people expect global education. It's mm-hmm. not about online. Now it's about, I can be anywhere and get what I need. Um, I think there are some global factors playing into this as well as 
we look at competitors, people would look to the U.S. as their um, example for getting an education. And now we are seeing more international competitors come in. So we can't just look at ourselves and within the U.S. and see who who students may come to. Students are going all over the world without ever leaving their homes to get what they need from a variety of institutions. I think there's a growing demand for asynchronous. I think that that's a reality, whether you're, produce, you're pursuing residential or online education. People are mobile, jobs are mobile, we're in a gig economy. Um, and I think those lines across, mm-hmm. across the traditional boundaries or pillars of education are blurring. I think the regulatory environment, how we look at financial aid, what it means to be aid eligible, some state authorization and compliance issues, those will continue. I think they're behind the times as they usually are in this field um, or any type of policy. And I think they're just working to catch up to see what um, what regulation in this area looks like. Um, there's a bunch of things that are there that I, again, as we think about all these things that you're talking about and how they impact how a learning designer in, you know, in conjunction with the subject matter expert is, is designing a course or, or looking at a program strategically. Um, you mentioned asynchronous. So mm-hmm. there's things that uh, as, a, as learning theory experts that learning designers probably want to do. For instance, you know, just be, regardless of the fact that, it's, that it's the, a course might be online, we think about student engagement a lot. Mm-hmm. And one of those ways might be to integrate synchronous learning experiences. So like engagement, the richest form of engagement is having a conversation, sitting in front of somebody and having a conversation with them and, and intellectually engaging. Um, you mentioned the need for asynchronous learning because these are probably the learners that have day jobs. Many of the students in this class probably have jobs, mm-hmm. um, family lives that they need to deal with. So asynchronous lends this certain amount of um, flexibility for them that they yes. can, the nights and weekends whenever they have time to do their class that's when they do it right um, so so there's I think to me there's a tension between what a good learning designer might want to do and and from your standpoint you know the market and you know that in reality the learners that we're trying to attract to, to enroll at Penn State um, that that they want that flexibility mm-hmm. so so it requires a conversation with between you and, and the learning design folks yeah. to understand that constraint and say, you need to, you know, you, you can't take these strategies in this course because you're pushing away the learners in, in a certain critical way. Sure. Um, I think that's one of those things, too, where it really depends on the institution and their goals. Some places, asynchronous education is for purposes of scale, for purposes of audience, is the primary need. We're certainly the focused that way at Penn State. Mm-hmm. At other institutions, that's not always the case. And so I think it's important to know the culture and the audience and who you're trying to reach with your programs. For some institutions, you're going to find that synchronous education is welcomed. And I think to some extent, we like to have it here as well. It's just not something that we want to make uh, required in a way that it could become a barrier. Mm-hmm. But even in the same way that we talk about face-to-face, what is face-to-face anymore? If you can be on Zoom with someone and literally sit as close across the table, except you happen to be looking through cameras and looking at a monitor, is that not face-to-face? What is synchronous anymore? What is asynchronous anymore? So, you know, we could be in the same building and be having a meeting 
and not be face to face and still just as involved. So part of that I think is why tying the learning design process goals to how who and how we reach our audience is so important because at our institution we do have people from around the world and on various schedules. For some people logging into a particular time isn't an issue. It's an expectation of that institution. And so I think that's why the instructional designers being really clued in Mm -hmm. to the objectives and the audience is so critical. What are some other factors that you can think of off the top of your head where you might, and I know it's a delicate thing because you want to encourage the creativity of the academic program and, Mm -hmm. and, and you want them to explore ways to engage the learners. Um, are there things like budget constraints that might you you might have to have a tough conversation with the with the learning design team or faculty member um, to ha- to ask them to scale something back, or or on the other side of things, maybe there's things that they they're not being bold enough, and you recognize from a business standpoint that in order for the program to to grow, they need to be a little bit more innovative in their learning mm-hmm. design so you might suggest those things so can you talk about both the both the the constraint and the pushing them to be sure so we have uh, that's an interesting conversation because mm-hmm. as you said it is very yes. delicate yep. uh, we never want to tell someone that we need to spend more money on this course and put more media here because it's more important mm-hmm. I mean part of this is what does it take to deliver the content mm-hmm. not extra because we like to use extra technology or not minimal because of people's culture um, competency in certain areas. It's about what does it take to deliver the content. And, um, you know, I, I, I come to rely on a couple of things. One is that when we're, we're not sure how it's going to go, or it, it's one of those areas that it will likely be an iterative process. Now, an iterative process may be because we know that's how that faculty member works or that's how that department works. Then we may suggest, how about we launch it with a successful quality product and then let's go back and revisit it mm-hmm. and then let's figure out how to enhance it. And maybe that that also helps us get some wins along the way because sometimes people want it to be perfect and then it doesn't launch or it takes Mm -hmm. forever to launch because it has to be perfect the first time and it'll be a quality product even if it doesn't have every bell and whistle in it because you have to trust the expertise of your designers who will create a quality learning environment. There are times where we do need to ask people to maybe step up their game a little. Uh, I don't know if I can say that. But part of that is we look at maybe the other courses that the students would experience in the program and say, you know, this one doesn't have a similar look or feel. And the students will obviously draw comparisons as they take multiple courses across a program. And we want to make sure that all of the courses that the student is experiencing has a a, a similar look and feel when it comes to navigation, when it comes to quality experience, when it comes to balance of media and technology. Part of that creates a better learning environment for the student who may already be a nervous learner. Mm -hmm. And so we talk to them about Um, you know, it's generally not the designer. (laughs) Generally, it's the designer's role to talk to the faculty member and say, let us suggest some ways we can do this. And this is where, as a program manager or director, I really rely on my designers to 
be bold in mm-hmm. saying what needs to be done, but also right. then making suggestions on how certain things would enhance the learner experience. Yeah, that's an that's a really interesting point about the learning designer being a strategic part of the equation in terms of moving a program forward. Um, and so there, in in pretty much any program at Penn State, there's there's some competitor, and I think this is sometimes when you're really focused on being a great teacher or designing great learning experiences for students, it almost seems a little distasteful to be thinking about how do I make this program more competitive in the marketplace? Like mm-hmm. that's not really want to be where I want to be spending my time focusing as a, as a learning designer. Um, but that there's an interesting conversation about, about innovation and doing things that make the program more marketable from a design standpoint. Do you, is that something you encourage? So for instance, and I always I overuse the example of virtual reality, but 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 are there instances where you're recommending something like let's do a big potentially expensive development project like building a whole bunch of virtual reality into a particular program, which ultimately has to be educationally pedagogically sound and benefit the learners. We mm-hmm. wouldn't do anything that didn't, um, but that also sort of is being done to some extent specifically to make the program more marketable. Sure. I can think of two examples that happen pretty frequently. Um, One was there are expectations in certain programs of certain use of technology. There are, you know, we know that to be competitive in the market, if there are several programs like that, what is our differentiator? And when 50 programs in the field have quality faculty, have quality designers, what is the differentiator? It's really hard when our market strategists go out and talk about how is our program different. Mm-hmm. And some of the best opportunities to highlight differentiators after everything else that we already can check the boxes on when faculty and everything is what are we using in the courses? Mm-hmm. Here we're using virtual technology, virtual reality. We're using some simulations, we're seeing some things, those talking points to my marketer or marketing strategist or whoever's marketing our programs becomes the differentiator. So yes, we may spend a significant amount of money on a piece of technology that impacts these courses, but that money is also translating to our marketing. That money is translating to that portfolio possibly because now people in that portfolio might be in a different program, but taking courses here, we can speak to the overall experience. The other thing too is that the faculty love it. When we can talk about, when they can talk about how they've partnered with the designer to put new technology in, that elevates their level of buy-in and their overall presence in the college. And the faculty like to share the positive experiences they have with their designers among their colleagues and among the people across the institutions, whether within or beyond. And so I think there are a lot of wins when it comes to that. Yes, the dollar signs are high sometimes. Sometimes it's a commitment. Sometimes it's a training or um, familiarizing faculty. Sometimes it's getting some buy-in when there's some skepticism about some new technology, but those wins can be more than just that class. That class can translate to marketing, it can translate to how they see themselves in the college, how they talk about their vision among the college and department. Um, 
So that's one example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another great. another one, and it's a very mm-hmm. short one, yeah. is when um, when someone sometimes our courses get very centric to where we are geographically. Mm-hmm. So they say, okay, well, we're doing this course, and it's an education course or a, a course that we have an expertise with in this area, and that course becomes very county centric or state centric and sometimes it's worth spending a little more money spending a little bit more time to talk about how students outside of this county or outside of the state will receive this course let's make it culturally or educationally relevant to a wider audience that helps the marketing strategy and that's something that our instructional designers tell us about they tell us this is a very pennsylvania centric course Mm -hmm. what can we do about that knowing that we're trying to reach a national audience so maybe we touched on this a little bit, but I think that um, it might be interesting to hear some of your observations, reflections on some of the qualities of of some of the most successful online programs, just as sort of a model for designers as they think of different strategies for, mm-hmm. for, uh, for their design. So... Um... I've given this some thought, and yeah. there's no one silver bullet, because sure. if there was, I would have already yeah. copywritten that. Right. <laughs> but I think that the key in successful online programs and online program delivery is knowing your learners and their needs. I think that's a critical part of this. Knowing your learners and knowing your learners and knowing their needs will help you design the high quality experiences and services that they need. Um, if you don't know your audience, you could design a beautiful program that wouldn't be great for this audience. And so I think that it all comes back to that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so I thought anyone was in here. Yeah, I've got it reserved. Just cut that part out. <laughs> okay. Um, the other piece of the building the quality experience is looking at our institutional strengths. We can't be all things to all people. What do we do well and how can we leverage that is an important component. Of course, accessibility. Accessibility not only of the education itself, but in terms of making it pedagogically accessible to a wide audience. Like we said, not just looking at Pennsylvania-centric, but making it accessible to the world from how we teach uh, and our cultural competence in those areas. The other piece is that we're going to get to a point where we're going to leverage the strengths of online and that it's not seen as a negative factor. I still think that there's some negative connotations sometimes depending on the context. And so let's make it a positive factor. There are things that we can do online. There are opportunities that we can leverage that maybe you can't do when you're geographically homogenous. What are those opportunities and let's leverage that? I think quality programs that take advantage of making online an asset instead of a liability is what differentiates them. Mm-hmm. And we see that when they when we look at their courses, when we see that when we look at their services, and we see that, again, the online students aren't the afterthought they are part of the cultural landscape at that institution. Um, if I, I always kind of like to end the these these podcasts with um, kind of a question about a learning designer who's starting in the field, um, and 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 from any of the 
my guests' uh, perspectives, um, things that, that you feel that, that they should know because you're interacting with them and you've had experiences where you've had successful, successful relationships with designers and less successful ones. Um, and, I, and I'm kind of curious as we sort of throughout this course try to develop a well-rounded designer, um, what from your standpoint are, are some of the skill sets, particularly around sort of business literacy um, and, and the things that you, your unit is responsible for that you would love to see in a designer? What, what are some of the, the qualities that, um, that uh, these designers going into the field can sort of cultivate in themselves to be more successful when they go into program team meetings where they have interactions with you where they're kind of shaping their design decision in smart mm-hmm. ways what what are they what what kind of things would it be awesome for you, for them to know when they work with you sure well i kind of two two buckets of thoughts here one is around how much we rely on instructional designers for communication and there are so many wonderful ideas that come to the table every day but oftentimes they're either siloed into the course space or they're viewed as a technology issue rather than a learning issue or rather than a um, learning opportunity. And so what I would suggest to designers who are in the field and trying to take the next step is to learn how to not just make the case for why a certain piece of technology is important, but how it impacts the overall learning experience. Learn how to make that case, make that bridge to learning overall, learning and and showing how it, um, making that case is not always easy, especially when you're talking to people who have never taught online or have never taken an online course. How do you make the case to them that some new piece of technology or some learning method you want to try is important? It's not easy. Mm-hmm. I would say that's where we, as professionals in the field, we make assumptions about people, what people know or don't know. And I think making the case for those conversations is an integral part of being a successful instructional designer. Mm-hmm. The other piece I would say is looking at yourself as part of a large team. Mm-hmm. Demo your work. Demonstrate it to the faculty. Take every opportunity when you can to show how you have partnered or worked with faculty to develop certain programs or how you yourself have taken or eased a learning problem or a pain point in the course or process. Because I think sometimes when we're working on the rush of getting programs developed or we're getting, we get focused on certain delivery issues or timelines, timelines are a big thing in this field, we get caught up in some of the mundane details and we forget to show everyone that we're what work we are producing. And unless you're a student in the course or a faculty member in the course, you may never get to see what is being designed. And as we've talked about, there's everyone from marketing strategists to business analysts in these courses, and they don't get to see it. So use those opportunities to demo your work, share what you've done, use a team meeting to show a new feature and how this relates to the learning process and how this enhances the learner experience. Those are my two takeaways because I think the designers that do this, um, and they all do it in different ways. There's no one way to do this, but the faculty take away the people they partner with, the student, the student administrator that came or the admissions person saying, I know a little bit more about this program or course 
than I did when I walked in. And when I need to talk to a student about this program, I have more information. If there's ever a question, I'm a good advocate for the work happening in these courses because now I know a little bit more about them. And the more advocacy you build around the work you do, the more potential opportunity there is for leadership. Yeah, and I think that that's a good explanation of where the this particular learning the learning design field is right now. I think that when and we talked about this a little bit in the course that when this started, um, when when online learning started and and the idea of instructional designers sort of entered into this conversation, that the instructional designer was was there primarily as sort of a a, a technologist. They were there to create websites essentially and, and put mm-hmm. the content online and. They were the ones that knew how to operate some bulky learning management system. And now those technologies are so much easier to use that there's less of a need for somebody to do that that sort of thing. A lot of times the faculty knows how to use those technologies pretty well. But, but that hasn't made the learning designer obsolete. It's, made, it's elevated them because now they're really focusing on, on the learning theory part of their job. And, yes. And... and um, and, and so there, to me, at least when this works in an ideal situation, the learning designer is there as an equal partner in the conversation about how a program is developed um, and, and is doing the things that you're talking about, sure. sort of persuading the faculty yeah. or, the, or the program planning folks on, on directions that the program should go. And I really like that, that part of it is, mm-hmm. is really you should be entering into those conversations feeling like you're a, a, a partner, um, an equal partner, and, and, and stepping up and, and Absolutely. being persuasive. I think that's one of those things that it can be very overwhelming if somebody says, I'd like to use some video. They could Google, how do I put video in my course? That's, that's very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. However, if you go to an instructional designer or a learning design professional and say, I'd like to use video in my course, they may ask you what purposes, how are your solved, what are your learning outcomes, and they can curate solutions for you. That curation is a highly valuable skill that if you do it every day, you may not realize how important it is. But when you are someone who is not familiar with this field and you would like to do something, that curation expertise associated with technology, learning design tools, um, learning strategies is extremely important and when you do it right i've found that when you do it right students get genuinely excited about the learning experience and that's always that's why we're doing all this stuff it is why we're doing all this okay well that's a good note to end thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it thank you